You're listening to the Politica Podcast. Good evening and welcome to the uh, Politicket podcast. Tonight we have Randy Watt with us, a former chief of the Ogden City Police. And uh, it's good to have you, Randy. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about law enforcement and and, uh, some of the things you see going on right now. I know in the legislature we had quite a few justice reform bills that came forward. And I just... I'd like to get your take on some of that that went on and, and, you know, and other things that are going on today across the country as far as police reform. Sure. Well, as a chief, you know, I, I sit on the Utah Chiefs uh, Association, and I still do. In fact, uh, uh, still, we're still moving ahead there. But as, as a retired chief, uh, I, you know, my voice will still be heard uh, in the process. We, as chiefs, we, we are the Chiefs Association. We're part of the Law Enforcement Legislative Committee that uh, meets with legislators and, and looks at bills, studies bills, and gives our position on, on behalf of law enforcement. There are seven voting members in there that represent a variety, of everything from the Attorney General's office to the Chief Association, Sheriff's Association, Department of National Resources, Law Enforcement, Corrections, and, and, um, and uh, uh, Statewide Association of Prosecutors and a few others. So we meet as a group. Uh, we start well before the uh, legislative session begins, and then, and then as we receive word of bills and as bills start stacking up, we review them and, and we kind of give them an up or a down in our opinion, or, or uh, you know, don't get involved kind of a, kind of a ruling there. Uh, and, and then we be we we look at them and we and we begin working with legislators to um, uh, to look at amendments, to look at changes, to look at different versions. Uh, and, and our primary job is to help legislators understand not only the initial impact of that bill, what, it, what it's going to do in terms of its impact effect on law enforcement, but what are the second and third order effects? What, what's going to happen downstream two years, three years, five years um, after this uh, decision based on our expertise and education and, and training? And this year, this session, we had, uh, we had a lot of police reform bills. That, that's an interesting term because the goal wasn't to reform anything. The goal was to change things. The goal was to substantially change on the part of a few activists. It was to substantially change the makeup of law enforcement and how, how law enforcement uh, does business. Uh, some of the bills were so extreme that they literally were attempting uh, to do away with long-time uh, court decisions currently in force and, and long-time full bodies of law as, uh, as law enforcement occurs around the country. And, uh, and so that was disturbing. Uh, it, was, um, it was probably the greatest um, effort we've seen yet uh, in terms of you know, my 40 years uh, in law enforcement in terms of legal change. But we had a great um, relationship with the legislators, and we were able to accomplish a great deal of, of adjustment, amendment, change, and, 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 or even get support in, in stopping bills from even coming forward. That's great. I, I know when I when I was reviewing any of the bills on law enforcement, I would I would look at uh, your website and the mm-hmm. and the list that you guys had did, developed, and right. I I thought that was very helpful because you had a lot of interesting commentary on there about what the bill was about and what you know what your position of the bill was, and so I I found it interesting. You know, one thing I I wanted to ask you about was. Uh, you know, when when we had the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, riots and stuff, I don't know if I use the word riot because here in Ogden it was actually quite peaceful. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, and yeah. and I was just wondering, you know, when we saw that 
we, we saw Salt Lake just kind of disintegrate in some ways, but, but then, then we had this massive uh, protest in Ogden, and it, it, it seemed perfectly peaceful. What, what was going on behind the scenes that, that made it that way, or is it just a yeah, well, different set of people? We took, um, first, we have, we have here in Ogden, the Ogden Police Department, the premier in the state, if, if not one of the premier in the country, and I mean that because we've been profiled by the uh, Department of Justice for our Intelligence Fusion Center here in Ogden. So, so our uh, fusion center was mo- monitoring a wide variety of traffic, so we knew when things were coming. We were monitoring uh, Facebook, we were monitoring even so far as the dark web, looking for conversations and keywords and things that, that identified you know, what's coming. Um, the second thing is we, had a, a, we have you know, in a mayoral administration that is law and order based, that, that understands that, that public safety, uh, good order, uh, public peace, all those things are, are tied together. And that, uh, and that the voices that were calling for more extreme behaviors are a very small minority of that. One thing we decided early on was that Ogden businesses would not pay the price. They're taxpayers, they're the economic engine of the city, would not pay the price for activism. So in some cities um, uh, here, uh, but around the country, you, you, know, you heard uh, political administrations say, well, windows can be replaced and, and uh, graffiti can be removed and, and we need to give people space to vent their anger and their frustration. I think I, I find that most of the politicians who say that have never run a small business. They don't know what, what an insurance deductible costs on a window right. uh, you know, on, on the front street. So we made a decision early on as a mayor of administration and, and as chief of police that, that we, and, and we are big believers and supporters in constitutional rights. And we want to see people exercise their constitutional right to assemble peacefully right, and to protest peacefully. And we accommodated that. We set up the areas necessary. We pre-planned. But the other thing we did is we got a hold of the people who were in charge of a lot of these protests, and we simply said, look, you need to understand the rules. Uh, Ogden is not Portland. Ogden is not like some other cities around. Ogden is not going to allow you to be... um, to destroy property, to be disruptive, to threaten life or safety, uh, to cause businesses to bear the cost or to damage public property and cause the taxpayer to bear the cost. So here are the rules. And as long as you obey the rules, we applaud your, your right to gather and to say what you want to say, which is what happened. Our first protest was a little over 3,000 people uh, right in front of the, right across the street, in front right. of yeah. the city building. And, uh, but we had adequate resources and Distance to allow them to do their thing, say their thing. Uh, but we told them right up front, we see a can of spray paint, and you know, we're not putting up with it. We see an attempt to, to do damage to public property, we're not putting up with it. So we had the resource available, we had the communication necessary to get that across, and I think they, I think they said their piece. I think they had the ability to accomplish their objectives as well. They had TV cameras that were, that were recording uh, what they're doing and playing it on the news. But we were able to do that. And then what happened over time is as things ramped up in other cities, as they got worse in, in other cities, because they weren't getting the level of, of activism in their protests here, and in the initial meetings, we saw a lot of out-of-town presence. 
uh, that began to dwindle, and the protests got smaller and smaller and smaller, and so our presence got smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and as, they, as they continued, uh, the few activists continued, they simply ran out of steam because um, there, there, wasn't any, there wasn't any way to, to uh, encourage or to elevate emotion and create pressure and, and get good news. In fact, the news services stopped coming here because there were other cities they could go and to. And then, then the outside people stopped coming. They too. stopped coming. Exactly. Yeah, I thought that was. I, I I actually applauded that. I you know I had Malik Dio on here that you know leads some of those things, and I you know I just yeah he had a lot of valid points that that he wanted to make, and I think people often do, mm-hmm. right? They have they have a list of grievances that that were occurring, and and they have the right to vent, but but venting, like you said, doesn't include destroying someone else's property. Well, you know, I, you look at what happened in in, in Salt Lake City. Yeah, down at the mall there, especially. Oh, yeah. And you look at what happened in in Portland and Seattle and around the you know Kansas City and St. Louis. Uh, you, you look around there, and where where you saw law enforcement and or city politicians attempt to appease that and and, and or to participate and or to to voice support, what you saw is escalation. What you saw were increases in damage. What you saw were. Um, but what you didn't hear about is you didn't hear about the hundreds of other cities where law enforcement and political administration said, not here. Um, we applaud your right to protest, and we'll support you in that, but not here. So the reality is that the Salt Lakes, the Portlands, the Seattles, where there were literally millions of dollars of damage done, were quite rare. But that's where all the news cycles right. ran. And that's probably why people stopped showing up here, too, right? Because exactly. they didn't get on the evening There's news. There's no news cycle for them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that you have to push to that point to really get your point across. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where do we go from here? I, you know, one of the things that's worrying me is I've, I've seen a lot of indications of this critical race theory being pushed into our schools, and uh, I, just, I just wonder, you know, where, where we go and how, how do we bring parties together and how do we uh, have an environment where people say their peace, but yet we don't have to go to extremes to, to push this. I'm very worried as well because these, these concepts like critical race theory and, and rewriting of history or changing history and and the emphasis on certain portions of it, uh, I find very, very um, disturbing. I find them personally uh, to be destructive, uh, not constructive, to be destructive. They're not fixing anything. They're making matters worse. Uh, I, was, I was born and raised in Canada to U.S. parents, and so I, uh, I came down here to go to Weber State, and you know, the rest is history. But my, uh, my stepmother, um, she was Polish. She was from Poland. And uh, you'll remember uh, that in 1984, when Poland began opening up and when the, you know, the curtain began falling apart in Europe, um, she had a 16-year-old niece come over from Poland who was granted a chance to visit Canada uh, for a number of months. She went every day to the public library 
And she would come home crying because she was reading the true history of Poland. She was reading, she was seeing the beautiful art and museums and things that had existed prior to the Soviets invading and taking over the country and prior to the Germans exterminating the Jews in, in Western Poland. And, and she had never heard or seen those stories. She had never known the truth. And she was so distraught and she would cry every day um, because of what had happened to her country. And I'm wondering why um, you only need to look back not too many generations to see that effect and that impact and what has happened. And, and here we are in this nation where um, political groups and extremists and activists are pushing the same thing. Um, let's control what history uh, we get to read and our children get to read. Let's control um, whose books they read. Let's control what media they read. Let's control what message they hear, that it's in the best interest of society. No, it's not. It's destructive. Uh, you know, where this country was built on uh, being a, a, an open marketplace for ideas and philosophies, that's why we were the greatest country in the world. It's why we are exceptional. It's why, why and how uh, more science, more development, more uh, peace within society, more great things have occurred is because of that. And yet, there are significant efforts um, to revert, uh, go back, um, move in in what I consider to be totalitarian uh, directions, and I'm concerned. Yeah, it surprises me when I hear these stories of people saying, well, you know, because I look at Venezuela. I mean, you know, one of the, the leaders in, in south, the southern yeah, go back hemisphere. back 25 years. And, right, they, wow. they, they were the best, right? Yeah, wow. And you look at what's going on there now and, and see how with within just, you know, a few decades, they go from being the richest country to probably the poorest, oh, where, poor. where people are, you know, having a hard time finding something to eat, right, because of this. And, and, then, and then you hear the stories of, well, they're just not doing it right. You know, and I look at this, I look at this critical race theory, and, and it really... It, it really emerged, the critical theory part of it, it emerged out of a philosopher named Foucault that was part of the Frankfurt School. Well, the Frankfurt School was a continuation of Marx and Engels. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, you know, this, this isn't economic socialism, it's cultural socialism. Correct. And, and I, just, I, I just see the harm that can come from that, yeah. right? And giving people these notions that, you know, it... You know, and, and I, guess, I, I guess I look at something, you know, I, I know the Constitution uh, really looks at and tries to create an environment where we have equality of opportunity, but now we use this term equity, and equity, equity is about outcomes. Correct. Right? And so, so you, you know, if you want equal outcomes, how can you have equal outcomes when, when some parties don't work as hard as others, or some parties, no, not saying that they're, you know, the opportunity shouldn't be opened up, but as, it's just as, scary. As you're aware, I'm also a retired colonel in the Utah Army National Guard. I've been 34 years active duty in National Guard time. I've been to a lot of countries. I've, I've been to some of the former Soviet nations. Um, I've seen and talked to the people, and you've never seen a more drab more uh, ex experience of existing. You see very little happiness. You see very little joy. You see, okay, 
I go and I do what I'm told to do. I shop where I'm told to shop. I buy what I'm told to buy. I go home and suffer through or endure another evening and get up the next day and do it all again. Um, I've also been uh, to, to countries and were flown in uh, to provide aid and other things where um, the gratitude they show to the United States for extending the humanitarian efforts that we do, and, and not only were we providing government, aid from US government, but we're fostering the even larger shipments that were coming from private entities, from um, the Catholic Church, from the Latter-day Saint Church, from large um, uh, NGO, non-governmental operations, uh, charitable, good people, caring uh, for others. And I've seen where people have literally shed tears when the US flag arrives. Um, why are we having such a difficulty inside our own country of realizing that? Why are we having a, a growing amount of turmoil over those kinds of things inside this nation when people are still, just look at the southern border, when people's goal in life all over the world is to get here. Right. Because it's, a, it's still in their mind the land of opportunity. But to all those that are currently here, American citizens, and and others, is it still the land of opportunity? Or are we morphing into uh, you know, the beginning of, of Venezuela, the beginning of uh, pre-French Revolution, the beginning of uh, the Marxism era, uh, 1917 revolution in, in the Soviet, well, in Russia, yeah, the before it became the Soviet Union? Yeah. I'm, I'm as concerned as you are. Yeah, I, and I, you know, what, what's, what's the answer? You know, I, I think, you know, Reagan had it right. You know, we, we are a shining city on the hill. Mm, we are. And, and we're, actually, we're actually, more so than he was, capitalism's last stand, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, we had all these powerful forces outside of our country trying to change things. That just made us stronger. But now, now we, we see this movement, you know, within our schools and within, you know, kids coming out of college today, and they have a different, they, they, they don't really understand, well, for one, what it was like to have struggles. I, I, don't, know, exactly. I don't know where that's coming from, but. Yeah. We've been, our, our success as a nation in defeating poverty uh, limiting and reducing poverty, uh, uh, and, and uh, there are people in poverty, as we classify poverty here, but you know, some folks could, could gain a lot by going to third world countries and seeing what poverty there looks like. It's a very different animal uh, than it is here. Um, not saying it isn't bad here, I'm just saying it's a different animal. Right. Um, that um, the availability of government assistance and private assistance exists here. Um, that doesn't exist in third world countries. And uh, were it not for the largesse of, of private organizations coming to support, there would be no support. Um, people don't understand, and I, and I think uh, to some point deliberately, the, the um, uh, mainstream media doesn't portray what's going on in Africa. There's still significant amounts of slavery in Africa. There's still significantly high levels of, of, um, of religious persecution including murder, 
Um, there are still attempts at genocide. There are still, I mean, and, and you look at the size of the African, you look at what, what's going on. Um, some of those are the places, you know, that where when the American flag shows up, people are show nothing but gratitude because at least some of that will be will be uh, uh, taken apart. I worry uh, that uh, that we became so prosperous um, that we removed a lot of the opportunity for growth for our youth. Um, you know, I started working at a very young age um, because it was it was necessary. Uh, I think you, you're of the same generation, so right. I'm betting you held yeah. jobs all the way through high school. When I went to college, I went to Weber College during the day, and I worked night shift at the police department at night so I could get through college. Um, so many, the system today um, seems to involve significantly less sacrifice than we had to do, so I wonder if, if the end results have significantly less worth in the minds of those who, who, um, you know, who, who accomplish them. Um, and, and so, and then also the change in the changes in education. Um, I, I'm not. I worry about how education is done, or, uh, or whether even education is actually occurring. Yeah, I serve. I, I serve as chair of the of the, the Senate uh, Standing Committee on Education that covers K through 12 and higher ed. And and uh, you know I. I, I think sometimes we worry too much of the the cultural culture and and those types of uh, things that kids learn and uh, focus less on reading writing and arithmetic right I, I agree and I and I think we need to get back to that uh, notion honestly I believe that uh, that education is the most convenient way out of poverty Oh, there's no doubt. I'm you know? a huge supporter of of education as a means of doing that. Look at how many uh, uh, famous people we have of various ethnicities across this country who did just that. Uh, you look at Thomas Sowell. You look at, at his oh, life. Yeah. Holy smoke! You look at Ben Carson. You look at how, how he grew up and what uh, occurred there. But you also have to, one of the things I have to mention, and there, there are a lot of teachers in my family, in my wife's family, our extended family, there are a lot of teachers, a lot of educators there. Um, we've put a lot of stress on educators. We've, we're expecting educators to babysit, to teach, to acculturate. Acculturate. Yeah, you we're know. expecting teachers, you know, how about we just figure out how to just let them teach. Right. How, how, about, how about we figure that out? How about we figure out how to get to a return to the nuclear family? Uh, how, do, how about we figure out how to, how to deal with those outside issues that so affect, uh, you know, how do we deal with the, the level of poverty in the inner city Ogden schools and the availability of, uh, of teaching? You know, that for, for a certain number of, of the children in our school system here in Ogden, home is not a safe place. Um, so how do we fix those kinds of things? How do we pay attention to those kinds of things that would enable learning? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wonder about that. You know, in, in fact, I, I wonder, you know, in terms of you just look at getting back to the, the police force here. You know, we used, to have, we used to have a lot of community policing that went on, say, 20 or 30 years ago, and you don't see as much of that anymore, where, where the police are part of the community and trying to get, you know, trying to help with some of these problems we have in the, 
part of that, in the families and stuff. Part of that is, is we can never, we have not been able to get to full strength. So we're, and this is not unique to Ogden, this is across the state, this is across the nation. The um, nobility of law enforcement as a career field has been so dramatically attacked over the last 10 years uh, in the same vein as these other things has that it's getting harder and harder to recruit and retain people. Um, you know, back three years ago, there were over 600, we knew because of the numbers, you know, there are roughly um, 7,000 law enforcement officers, state and local law enforcement officers in the state of Utah, across the whole state. There were a little over 600 open positions that would never be filled in that time, so a little less than 10%, right? Um, positions would be open across the state. And we haven't been able to fix that. In fact, I haven't seen any, any real good numbers in the last couple of years, but I'm relatively certain it's worse than that now. Um, so what it, what it creates is it creates a great deal of stress on the individual officer, which is carrying the load of 1.5 right. you know, officers. Uh, the increasing negativity uh, that is a very small part of society, but very loud right. part of society has made it uncomfortable uh, to be a police officer. It affects families, um, spouses and children. Um, it becomes very, very challenging to, to uh, have people know that your father or your mother are law enforcement officers. And, uh, and so those, those things combined, uh, plus, you know, but law enforcement state of Utah, not all agencies, but across the board, is a is reasonably good pay, paying job with reasonably good benefits. But the employment market in Utah has, has done so well yeah. that uh, there are so many other options available. You used to, in my generation of law enforcement, I started here in Ogden. Do, do you think it's that, or do you think it's, do, do you think it's more this, this dissatisfaction that people I, have with the police and the attempts to cancel them? I think that plays a huge role. I think that plays a whole role. I think the cancel culture and, and all of this wokeism and all this anti-police sentiment, I mean, uh, I, think, uh, I think we counted, you know, during the legislature that we dealt with 74 police reform bills in various stages. Um, and that was an unheard of number uh, that, of bills that impacted law enforcement. Yeah, even the ones that don't. I know I had a bill in my committee that we, that we uh, worked on modifications for, but the initial thing was to set up these safety and equity councils at all, all the universities. And the thing that really bothered me is they'd crossed out the part that said the police report to the, to, uh, to the board of trustees, mm. right? And uh, I think those attempts, even though, you, you know, people may be well-meaning with these things, but I, I, I think sometimes they go in the wrong direction. Yeah. And, well, uh, we've got to decide at some point it's like teachers. We've asked law enforcement agencies to be everything. What is it we truly want? What we did at OPD when I came in as chief is we said, we're going to, we're going to get with our city council, we're going to get with our city administration, we're going to define our priority tasks. 
what is the what most critical item you want us to do, what's next, what's next. Because a bunch of stuff has to fall off. I had this saying, and the, and the council kind of got a little bit tired of hearing it. I said, the Alton Police Department can do anything, but we can't do everything. That's, so a, good, we, that's a good statement, actually. Yeah, so we developed a priority list of tasks, and we got them to, to agree. And so we were able to get focused. You know, Ogden, Ogden uh, two years ago, uh, crime was going, was going up across the state, but Ogden was still going down and because we had focused our efforts on those key tasks that were necessary. Uh, if you're going to have successful city growth, if you're going to have successful task base, if you're going to have people moving in, if you're going to have visitors coming, using your hotel rooms, you know, driving the economy, people have to feel safe and secure here. So isn't that the, the primary role of law enforcement? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess that really is is you know, when it comes right down to it, that's the solution, is that, that we have to have leadership, right? That's true. And, and it really, and, uh, and that drives a lot of things. Well, I congratulate you on, on the job with the Ogden Appreciate City that. Police. I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you left a big hole there when you decided well, to retire. There's a good man filling it. Yeah, that's good. It's actually good to hear. And, and I, really, I really do like the way that the, the protests were handled in in Ogden City. I think that was, I, I, I was glad to get some insight on that. But we're out of time, so oh. uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you for it's tuning in. It's been a in. pleasure. It's Thanks. been a pleasure. Thank you.